everybody. It's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, September 4th, 2016. Let's just get right into the big explosive shocker of the week. Sharon McAvoy clips coupons? <laughs> Did I imagine that? Did everybody else notice the scene where Sharon and Mariah are hanging out on her couch at home? Sharon is giving Mariah a little bit of advice about Kevin and Chloe as well as commenting on the Adam situation. And the entire time she's sitting there with her scissors clipping out coupons. I love that Y&R simultaneously expects us to believe that these people are rich beyond our wildest fantasies, yet extraordinarily thrifty. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, Sharon. I mean, what do you think those coupons were for? Uh, please, she could buy anything she wanted at any time. Oh man. Well, speaking of Chloe, okay, it was Chloe who discovered very early in the week that there is apparently a hidden passage, who knew, that is connecting Chelsea and Adam's current condo to their old condo, which apparently leads out to the back stairs of the the whole Newman probably tower condo system. I mean, nobody noticed that that hidden passage was being built. I would imagine that somebody somewhere along the way would have heard some hammering I mean, they dug out this entire tunnel. It was lined in metal. Nope, nobody was the wiser. Maybe that happened during the the reconstruction of the fire from the fire. Yes, yes, that's what I'm gonna go with. But uh, Chelsea and Connor had just received their uh, phone call from Adam, where we last left off on last Friday's show, and they were going to meet him at the cabin. Which, by the way, is it was completely contradictory to. To my prediction last week, I didn't expect that we were going to get Adam and Chelsea and Connor to be reunited at all. I thought that was never going to happen, and it did. Uh, Chelsea and Connor escape safely through the hidden passage, which sends the Genoa City Police on a a chase <laughs> across the the entire uh, Genoa City Tri County area. Uh, Paul and Dylan are tracking stuffed dinosaurs and half-eaten chicken nuggets all over the place. <laughs> and yeah, everybody knows that Victor's the one behind it. It's obvious that Victor has masterminded Adam's big escape plan and that he's helping him get away. And I think uh, it's, it's interesting that everybody in town knows it, but can't catch Victor at all. Everybody is coming to Victor expecting him to change his plan or give them info and he's not going to do it. And by the way, I loved watching Nikki play dumb and offended to everybody that came into the ranch all week long, accusing Victor, asking Victor questions. I mean, it was Dylan, it was Paul and Christine, it was even Jack, and the entire time Nikki just played her role perfectly, standing by her man, acting as if, oh, Victor could never do something so terrible. He's on house arrest. He 
please. He would never do anything to that would be illegal, you guys. Uh, so I loved Nikki this week, and I think this would be a good little place to tell you guys our poll results from last week. Nikki and Victor, partners in crime. How do you feel about these two actually being in cahoots? Overwhelmingly, 79% of you said yes. Nikki and Victor working together is okay by me. Um, a small percentage of people, 21%, said this is a step in the wrong direction. I don't like it. Um, actually, I thought Jasmine made a really good comment here uh, saying, I voted no because in Victor's little flashback scene in prison, he, he thought that Nikki's life without him would make her a homeless drunk. He has no respect for her. Who's to say that he would not let her take the fall? So I think that's kind of an interesting spin. Do you think Nikki, uh, Victor would throw Nikki under the bus at a moment's notice? Or uh, would he uh, end up taking the fall for her? But the majority of people said yes, mostly because I like this version of Nikki. Nikki has been very pathetic for the past couple of years. Uh, she hasn't had a lot of strong uh, conviction about her. And this actually gives her something to do and, and someone to be. So the majority of people seem to like this pairing. I like this pairing in this partnership, and uh, I'm kind of excited to see more of it. I think one of the weirdest things about this chase for Adam, this manhunt for Adam, is that nearly everybody in town, with the exception of Jack and the police, of course, has their fingers secretly or sometimes publicly crossed that Adam is just going to scoot away, that he's just going to get away with this. And it's strange to think back a couple of years when Adam was public enemy number one. Everybody wanted him to get caught for his crimes. The town was practically coming at him with pitchforks. And now here we are having support for Adam in sometimes very unlikely places. Uh, Nick, for one, was at the forefront of wanting Adam to go to jail for Constance's murder, believing 100% that Adam could have done it. And now that he's realized Victor is involved, he is team Adam all the way. In fact, he made a very compelling argument to Dylan this week to just quietly drop the case, to just not pursue any leads having to do with Adam, right this wrong that was done to Adam by Victor, and just let him go. I thought it was a very interesting argument. I thought Dylan might take that bait. He confided to Sharon about it, which I appreciated. It wasn't something that he decided to lie to her about, and I do think that speaks to the honesty at least on one end of that relationship, of that marriage. Uh, it would be nice if Sharon could return that favor with a little honesty, but it was a, a nice little outdoor scene between them where he's kind of kicking around the idea of whether he should just let Adam go. Sharon is all for it. Um, did anybody else notice that Sharon's audio track seemed a little bit off in that outdoor scene. It, I kind of got the impression that maybe Sharon Case had to go back and redub over that scene. Uh, maybe there was just, it always sounds so windy. All of the outdoor scenes that they've done, which I love so much and appreciate, and there was a lot of other new outdoor scenes that we got this week. The airfield, the cabin, but the, some of the ones I think that they're actually shooting outside, there's just this wind behind it, and it's, it's sort 
sort of distracting from the audio, and I kind of think maybe it might have ruined Sharon Case's audio because it just seemed like her maybe the audio track wasn't matching up with her lips. Uh, maybe we need to we need to put a little bit more work into these outdoor scenes. But I am loving it, and I appreciate that YNR visually has been giving us a lot of um, of different types of things to to see and enjoy, and I do appreciate that very much. Uh, ultimately, though. Dylan decides that he can't really sacrifice his own family to help Adam if it turned out that Dylan was hiding or concealing evidence. It could destroy his relationship with his father, the chief, uh, and uh, on a larger scale, it could end up getting him thrown in prison, and he has a son who needs a father, too. So I appreciated that Dylan entertained the idea of, of helping Adam, but yet ultimately had to choose himself and his family. So the hunt continues. Everybody is squirreling around uh, looking for clues to find Adam while Chelsea and Adam are having a beautiful time away. Chelsea successfully makes it to the cabin. They are united there. It is beautiful. Speaking of scenes that are visually stunning, Everything at that cabin was so romantic and so beautiful. It was almost as if we were saying goodbye to Adam and Chelsea. Goodbye to Adam. Uh, but you could tell there was this, in certain parts, like a blue filter over the scene. In certain parts, a purple filter maybe to show us a sunset. There was lovemaking and kissing and, and just having these quiet, quaint moments on the deck. Uh, <laughs> adorable and hilarious Adam thinking that he's going to teach Connor how to fish. <laughs> I just loved seeing him there with that fishing pole looking like he does not know what to do with this thing, but he's supposed to. Hey, fishing can be more complicated than, than you might think. Uh, those poles can, there's a lot of little gears and gadgets. <laughs> but it was funny and really sweet seeing Adam sitting there bonding with his son while Chelsea's kind of chuckling in the background. It was just perfect. The whole cabin sequence was perfect. It was, in fact, too perfect. It definitely fell under the category of, oh, is this, this can't last. It's just too good to be true. Uh, unfortunately, Connor got sick at a certain point, and they both realized that he can't fly like this. He has an ear infection, can't put him on a plane. The whole idea was to wait a couple of hours for this plane that Victor had arranged to take them off to another country and off to safety, but if you can't put Connor on the plane, you can't go, and you can't just ignore an ear infection, so they need to have a plan B. I thought it was interesting and frustrating at the same time how very quickly Adam jumped to turning himself in. Practically, his first response was, it's fine, whatever, you take you take Connor to the hospital and I'll just turn myself in and we'll be done. Almost as if Adam knew he was on borrowed time, and I think maybe that's the case. I think Adam maybe knew that this was not really ever going to work out. Something in him knew that. Uh, so he was ready to turn himself in while Chelsea's saying, no, let's come up with an alternative idea here. She... 
comes up with the idea to leave the cabin and drive to get Connor some medicine, let Adam get on the plane and go away to safety uh, while uh, Chelsea and Connor can end up meeting him later. But ultimately, the plan is for the family to be reunited. There's no way Chelsea's going to go back on this now, which I appreciated from her. I liked that she was the one who was really pushing forward the momentum to get this plan into action, to get it out of town, and to unite her family. So she it leaves the cabin, and uh, while she is in the car with Connor, she's listening to the radio, and or she gets a text or something and realizes that there's been an Amber Alert issued for Connor and that her, the car that she's driving has been identified. So she's got to ditch this car. She's both got to help her son and ditch this car. So who does she call her new number two confidant guy here, Nicholas? She calls old Nick in to help, which of course he's going to do while this is leaving Adam alone at the cabin when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Chloe busts in with a tranquilizer gun? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I just about lost my freaking mind when Adam all of a sudden gets a tranquilizer dart in his abdomen and he looks up puzzled, confused, and then Chloe's standing there at the door like, hi Adam, no problem, it's just me, just ready to tw- trank your ass. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I, was, I was like stunned that Chloe could find Adam and Chelsea when the cops couldn't. I didn't understand why she was there in the first place. It was later revealed that she put some kind of GPS tracking device inside of Connor's stuffed dinosaur toy. So I'm presuming that she was using that to know when Chelsea and Connor were away from Adam because I don't think Chelsea would ever want to A, hurt Chelsea, I don't think Chloe would ever want to A, hurt Connor and Chelsea or B, reveal herself and her real intentions uh, to Connor and Chelsea. So she knows, I assume, that that's where Adam is and that he's alone and that she's going to get him. This is the time to, uh, I assume, I can only assume, enact the final part of her plan. Like she, for the past two weeks, has been preaching this forgiveness and a part of me kind of believed her when she started talking about wishing that Adam would not go back to jail, wishing that Adam would not be found. I mean, the entire time the cops are looking for Adam, uh, she is saying, I wish he would just get away. And it was it was astonishing to me that she felt that way. And then all of a sudden, it was like personality change when she shows up at the uh, cabin, and she just had this look on her face that was so incredibly menacing. And I thought, oh my gosh, she is done a complete 180 and she has been fooling everyone in town and fooling me to boot. I mean, her face was just like so scary. All of a sudden, Adam is starting to 
pass out. He's got a tranquilizer dart. He's slipping away. And Chloe's just sitting there in a chair in front of him, kind of in a James Bond villain sort of way, revealing her involvement and setting him up. First of all, she let him know that she was the one that was working with Victor and that she was faking the whole forgiveness thing the entire time. It was a really cool scene. I loved the camera angles that they were using to shoot it. Uh, it was We were seeing the camera being Adam's point of view as he's becoming more and more groggy and passing out. We're seeing the camera kind of sink down and at a certain point she like grabs his face, grabs the camera and, and you know looks into it and says, now I'm going to watch you die. <laughs> it was insane. I'm like, oh my gosh, little Chloe has become a big, big trouble. I mean, I could not even believe that this was her. It was nuts. I mean, Adam at that point completely passes out for what looked like to me for good. And at that point, uh, Adam, or excuse me, Nick and Chelsea are returning to the cabin to, you know, hook back up with Adam. They got their medicine. I don't know, whatever. And uh, Ch- Chelsea is is getting back just in time to watch the whole freaking place blow to smithereens. <laughs> wow. Wow. How completely and totally unnecessary was that? <laughs> what? The cabin blew up? I mean, it's if the tranquil dart wasn't enough let's go ahead and blow the whole place into a million pieces well I think YNR spent some money on that special effect thank you very much it was it was it was surprising it was shocking it was explosive it was sweeps worthy explosion uh, the last explosion we had was uh, at the Newman tower fire so where Weiner's really trying to bring up the big the big explosions it was pretty like the whole thing though was pretty elaborate right I mean damn why didn't Chloe just shoot him if she wanted Adam dead she could have just put a bullet in him and instead she does this like tranquilizer dart and also somehow constructs a bomb or I don't know (laughs) I don't know how little Chloe pulled that off it just it seems so unnecessary she's she is one little devious deviled egg (laughs) let me tell you Oh my goodness. So I guess that like uh, she knew that Chelsea and Connor were I'm this is totally me presuming here because I feel like there's still some gaps in Chloe's intention or in my understanding of Chloe's intention and of of exactly what happened but I'm assuming that due to the GPS that Chloe knew that Connor and Chelsea were out of the cabin so she could get her final revenge on Adam question mark that's just my impression or what I am I suppose supposed to think Uh, I, I think that maybe like Chloe wants Chelsea's friendship so badly that she wanted also just to get Adam out of the way because do you remember last week when she was so offended by the idea that Adam would get out of prison and come back and live with Connor and Chelsea and that that would change the dynamic of her new friendship with Chelsea and the girls getting along like Chloe couldn't conceive of the fact that oh if if Adam does get out of jail then she's gonna have to leave the con 
Mondo. I almost am getting also kind of this single white female vibe from Chloe. Like maybe she wanted her revenge on Adam, but she was a little bit willing to sacrifice that by turning over the diary pages. But maybe her last straw was the idea that she was going to lose Chelsea. I don't know. It was just it, the whole thing was just so bizarre. And I'm not going to lie. I a, 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 a tear. I could see my reflection in the screen as I was watching Chelsea watch the cabin blow up and I could see a little tear forming in the corner of my eye as Chelsea is just standing out there screaming Adam's name knowing that he's inside or hoping upon hope that he's not inside. That's where she left him. She'd been trying to call him, couldn't get a hold of him and now all of a sudden just as she's getting there the whole place is blowing up. Ugh. I, it was so, so sad. And then Nick tries, has to like physically hold Chelsea back from going into the cabin to try to rescue uh, him. I was glad that Nick was there to talk some sense into her because you know Chelsea would have run into that fire and it would have been bad news. It would have been no hope. Adam wouldn't want that. I think it was good that Adam placed Nick in charge kind of of, of Chelsea and Connor and, and Nick did a really good job of helping her and trying to convince her that maybe Adam is okay. Let's just go to the airfield. The plane is going to be here any minute. We will see if maybe Adam escaped and made it to the plane. They get to the airfield and Chelsea realizes that again, Adam's not there. He's he there. And there's probably no other place he could be other than inside the cabin. So she's realizing that her husband is out there somewhere. And Nick is trying furiously to convince her that she just needs to get on the plane. She has to uh, think about Connor. She has to go, go away with him and keep him safe and you know you know Nick says you know you have to do this we'll figure out what's going on with Adam uh, and and they're, they're talking about who on earth could possibly have known that Adam was there why would the Kevin have blown up in the first place and it was like this wave hit Nick first then Chelsea and they both realized that there was only one person who knew where Adam was and that it was at that cabin, and that was Victor. Ugh. It's, you know, I, the thing is, if Victor would have framed Adam for murder, and we know he did, who's to say that he wouldn't have had Adam killed? It's it's a possibility. I don't think it's true. Nick uh, ends up going back to the ranch and confronting Victor about all of this, and Victor, to me, seemed completely shocked. I don't think that Victor was behind this at all. My impression, I could be wrong, is that this is all Chloe's doing. Uh, I, I mean, I, I can't blame anybody for jumping to the conclusion that Victor would have done it, but I just don't think he did. So I think it was Chloe. I think also that it seems like for now, unless there's some chicken McNugget that I'm missing of a clue, it seems like Chloe is going to just get away scot-free with all of this. I mean, Chelsea is never going to suspect her. Everybody is going to think that it's Victor. And it, that works out perfectly in Chloe's favor. Next week, 
week we saw a preview on Monday's show of Victor and Chloe having a meeting and it definitely seemed to me that Victor was upset with Chloe for having done this and Chloe is saying to Victor, no wait before you say anything, you need to hear what I have to say. So I don't know if there's some kind of other twist that I don't know about if maybe Chloe didn't end up killing Adam because she could have. She could have easily just killed him. It almost maybe I think could make sense that Chloe tranquilized him to sedate him, get him out of there and watch him, I guess, or like hold him hostage. She did say that she wanted to watch him die, but she could possibly have tranked him and then her like little 100 pound body dragged him out of the cabin to uh, possibly hold him hostage somewhere. And then maybe the bomb was just a diversionary tactic to make it look like Adam was dead to Chelsea and to everybody else and so the heat would be off of Adam? That's the only thing I could think. If Chloe had an ulterior motive that was not murder Adam, then I think she's holding him hostage somewhere. Um, I, I don't know. I think that's it, though, for Justin Hartley. I really do. Uh, I was just watching the very end of Friday's show and it seemed like it seemed like the cabin scenes were a goodbye to Adam and Chelsea. It seemed like with the explosion, it would be the perfect departure for Justin Hartley, knowing that he was going to be going off and working on other projects. And then I just a couple of minutes ago Googled Justin Hartley and there was a bunch of news articles saying that he's confirmed it, that he's out at YNR, that he's got it on his Facebook page, a bunch of articles saying it. And so I'm going to assume that it's true. Oh, Justin Hartley out as our Adam at the Young and the Restless. I find that to be incredibly devastating. I don't know uh, how you guys feel about it. I think the majority of people really like the character of Adam. I think the majority of people appreciated this iteration of Adam, this recast of uh, Justin Hartley's portrayal of Adam. And so I, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that the majority of the fans are going to be really upset about this. No more Justin Hartley. No more Adam for a while. What should we do? What are we going to do, you guys? Oh, I can only imagine that that should be our poll question for the week. Justin Hartley out at YNR. What on earth do we do? What do you want to see happen now? If we can't have Justin Hartley, wh what do we do? Do we wait and just see if Justin Hartley decides to come back to reprise the role? Or do we wait a little while and then find wait for like the perfect recast of Adam? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't even know if that's even going to happen. It seemed like Justin Hartley was, was such a, a rare and unique find to fill that role uh, in Michael Mooney's absence. I don't know. Can we do it twice? Uh, or should we go back to the Michael Mooney version? May, would you like to see Michael Mooney reprise the role possibly? Or like, should we just kill Adam and get him out of the way? YRChat.com. What do we do about this Adam situation? Do we wait for Justin Hartley? Do we recast somebody new? Do we go back to Mooney or do we just kill the guy? Or do you have any other <laughs> opinions or ideas on, you know, I mean, you can't stop an actor from wanting to go on and pursue other projects. So what are we left here in the dust at YNR? 
do. You tell me, whyartchat.com. Um, I can only assume that we are headed face first into an Adam Newman presumed dead in a fire <laughs> storyline again. I mean, wait for it. I can hear all of you guys saying, didn't we just do this? Isn't this what happened last time? I mean, I think uh, Billy and Adam got into that fight in the car and it drove into the lake and caught on fire and <laughs> Adam's face got burned off and he came back. I mean, maybe uh, maybe that's what's going to happen. Maybe Adam is actually in the cabin and right now and his face will get burned off and he will just come back in like six months and he'll have a brand new face. I have to say, I feel bad for Kevin because I think this guy is going to be in for a really unpleasant surprise when he realizes how devilish his little angel Chloe really is. He has become so understanding with her as if he's one with her, as if he just gets her on a level that no one else does. And he has no idea that the wool is being pulled over his eyes, too. He's there bonding with her, bonding with Bella, who he certainly wishes was his daughter and might very well be. He's he's very protective of her, very protective of Chloe. And this week, Chloe uh, gave him a little smooch of appreciation. He's been there so much for her. He offers to stay overnight but sleep on the couch. And she rewards him with, by giving him a little kiss, which I worry, I, I do worry, is her leading him on. We all know that Chloe goes upstairs after that little smooch and sneaks off through the passageway uh, to go blow up a cabin and tranquilizer dart Adam. So uh, is Chloe just trying to tranquilize Kevin in that same way with her with her dark kiss <laughs> to throw him off of the scent that she's up to anything? Or is she falling back in love with Chloe? And when uh, Kevin does find out the truth about what she really did in that in that absence in that time when he fell asleep is Kevin going to be mad at her and leave her forever and be done with her or is he going to make excuses and decide to understand her and go along with it and forgive her I don't know um, I did appreciate Daniel coming to track Kevin down and find him at the condo and give him a little bit of just sort of it was kind of advice and it was kind of a hmm you know why don't you be realistic about what you're doing here. Uh, I, I liked it. I liked seeing Kevin and Daniel together. I liked seeing, by the way, at the very beginning of the week, the uh, conclusion of Daniel and Mariah's scenes together. I thought at first it was going to be very antagonistic because Mariah says to him, oh, you're the guy who killed my sister. And it was it was very abrupt. And I think Daniel realized in that moment that he was going to have to explain himself again, that he was going to have to kind of relive that again. And he did try to talk to Mariah about what happened. We saw the flashback. I'm telling you, YNR has been digging into the annals. They've been going through the backlog of tapes because I don't think we've seen 
Cassie stashing Daniel in the back of the car for a while. I think YNR must have certain scenes on a loop where they can kind of pluck in because we've seen Cassie dying in the hospital bed a gajillion times since it happened, but we didn't see Cassie putting Daniel in the backseat of the car and trying to drive him home because he's drunk and passed out uh, until this week. We haven't seen that in a while, and it was so weird to see that young, fresh-faced Daniel and the young, fresh-faced Cameron Grimes, and I just... I think that uh, it was really cool. I, I mean, it, it's a connection that uh, it, it's just, it's interesting. It hits me in the right spot because that was a very important time in YNR, and I remember when it happened very clearly. So it was good to see the flashback and good to see those characters coming back. I mean, against all weird odds, who would have expected that that they would bring Cameron Grimes back as a twin? Uh, and here, here we are now. I thought it was really cool to see those two together. I really wish that we could have Daniel back for longer. I, in general, kind of like his whole vibe. Oh my gosh, Luca had a total freak out. I, at the idea that Summer caught him or he was caught and had to confess to the whole oil rig thing, he had an emotional breakdown. And there was this standoff where Luca's acting like he's going to hurt Summer. Jack's standing there having to talk him down and, like, throw his phone down onto the floor and not call the police. I mean, Luca had no gun, no nothing. He was just going to, I guess, squeeze Summer to death. It was really a an absolutely bizarre turn. And we saw... Luca and and like his face just turned and, and he realized he didn't want to hurt Summer. He really, I think, loved Summer and felt betrayed somehow. He said something to her about like, why didn't you choose me over your family? And there was something about it that was just so sad. Like, this is a guy who just wants to be chosen, who just wants to be loved. He spent all of his life uh, or his adult life chasing Marissa and trying to force her to love him and now he finally was was very very close to finding somebody who did love him and he screwed it up just by being him and I think rather than accepting that he was wanting to put it on her like why didn't you choose me I mean it's kind of obvious uh, so he he had this emotional breakdown and all, uh, Jack was able to call the cops and the cops hauled Luca away in handcuffs so I guess he's gone now. I googled that here uh, this week and uh, Miles Gaston Villanueva, uh, the actor who played Luca, is out. He is gone. I'm, Luca's just gone now. I suppose I did not see that coming. Um, I feel like we need to do like some kind of slow motion, heartfelt montage uh, in, in honor of Luca, of like all of his shirtless and too tight pants wearing scenes. Seems like basically it's Luca out Travis in, which is okay with me. <laughs> uh, and it's Billy letting himself in to Victoria's house using his key to get a book for their child. Um, 
inappropriate, Billy. Uh, I thought, first of all, I thought Billy was staying with Victoria. I, maybe I misinterpreted that that last week. I'm very sorry if I got that wrong, but I thought she gave him the key so that he could stay there with her since Jill is staying at the mansion with Colin, but I, I guess I'm, I'm wrong. But uh, he decided to use the key that she gave him to go in to grab the kid's book. Maybe a phone call would have been more appropriate or better yet, you're rich. You don't need to cook clip coupons. You can just go rebuy the book at your local Barnes and Noble. You don't need that book <laughs> because we know that Tori and Travis are in there having a heavy makeout session. They're back in Genoa City. They want to have mainland sex now, which I'm all for. <laughs> oh, uh, of course, Billy comes in. It's all awkward. He wants to get up in Travis's face and question his uh, intentions. And uh, as soon as Billy leaves, uh, Victoria and Travis resume their lovemaking session. I thought it was adorable that Travis went and grabbed uh, a chair to basically triple barricade the door so that no one could get in, no one could interrupt them, uh, and they could just have their wild, uh, wild sex in, in, in Victoria's house for the first time. I, I loved it. Um, and I, I tell you, as adorable as I think these two are, and I, I really do, uh, I think maybe Victoria should have waited a little while longer before bringing Travis home to daddy. Uh, surprise, surprise, you guys. Victor Newman does not approve of Victoria's boyfriend. Can we just get a list of all of the boyfriends that Victoria has dated that Victor has not liked? Has Victor ever liked anybody? Stitch is the only person that Victoria has ever been with that it seemed like Victor was okay by. I mean, he hated Ryan. He, I don't know, how did he feel about Cole? I feel like Victor probably didn't like Cole. Uh, let's see. I mean, Victoria was married to Brad. You know, Victor didn't like that. We know he didn't like Billy. So it's like, I mean, come on, Victor. Is anybody good enough for your daughter? Victor was so rude and disrespectful to, to Travis. I mean, maybe it was wrong. Maybe it was wrong for Victoria to have him on her shoulder or have, have him on her arm while they're going through this big old family drama. And, and Nikki did say, why are we discussing family business in front of a stranger? It, maybe it was a little, it was, it was wrong probably of Victoria to bring him in there, but Victor was so rude. Ugh. Victoria said, Dad, uh, Travis came back to town to help stop Luke, to help stop Summer from marrying Luca Santori. And Victor said, oh, yeah, well, how much is your help going to cost me? I loved that Billy and Victor kind of had that in common, where they both thought that Travis was just there for Victoria's money. Uh, and uh, Travis said, money's not my thing, Mr. Newman. <laughs> but I also bet that it wasn't Travis, who was paying for that fancy schmancy dinner at the athletic club while the entire Abbott family was staring at them from across the room. <laughs> um, well, as predicted and expected... Phyllis is jealous. She is jealous and she is regretful and she is unhappy with her decision or having been forced to stay with Jack. It is driving Phyllis crazy 
to think that Billy is still in love with Victoria. And at the beginning of the week, that's what she thinks. So she finally decides to give in and tell Billy, which I can't help think is her way of just sort of keeping him on the line a little bit. She has to tell Billy that it was Jill who made her go back to Jack, which of course made Billy wildly upset, but it also wildly reignited his passion, like with a blowtorch. <laughs> there was that scene on Friday at the athletic club where we're trying to have a uh, an Abbott family dinner and Ashley and Jack and everybody kind of migrate away from the table and only in Billy and Phyllis are left and they have got this vibe about them that just says, I hate you. I want you. Because <laughs> that, that could literally be the subtitle of their relationships. I hate you. I want you. I hate you. I want you. I love you. Ah! <laughs> it was kind of hot, though. I mean, they were like holding hands under the table. But I, I like that vibe of I'm not supposed to want you, but I do. We're not supposed to touch, but we are. I mean, it, it is appealing. I'm not going to lie. But the thing is, there is no putting the cat back in the bag on this relationship with Billy and Phyllis. Whether it happens today or tomorrow or November sweeps, Billy and Phyllis are going to end up back in each other's beds and they're going to get caught and it's going to be so good. Lily and Kane tracked down Grandma Winters this week only to find that she is sick. In fact, she's terminally sick, although Neil, I don't think, knows that yet. Uh, he has reluctantly decided to go see her. Lily and Devon kind of had a talk with him, poked him and prodded him enough to finally go see his mother after all of these years. And the moment that he walked into her hospital room, or I'm assuming she's in a nursing home of some type, um, I was just really hit with the depth of this story before anybody said a word. I'm almost just shocked at YNR for never really pursuing this angle before. And now that they are, I kind of wish it wasn't going to be this brief because as soon as I looked into Neil's mother's eyes, I thought to myself, I really can't imagine not having seen your son for that many years. I mean, I'm presuming that she left him as a very young man. I'm not sure if they said what age exactly Neil was, but she had made some reference to the fact that he'd had a college education, that he had gotten a job. And, and so I'm assuming that the last time she saw him when, was when he was a relatively young boy. And to now see your son for the first time as a grown man, I cannot imagine the weight of how that would feel. And before anybody even said anything, I immediately also had this notion of thinking that it, it feels and felt a little bit immature to cut off communication from your mother because she cheated on your father. Last week, Neil's, mostly his argument about why he didn't want to be, uh, have a relationship with his mother is because she cheated, she philandered, and she was an alcoholic. Uh, but if she, you know, just taking the cheating part of it, 
that has nothing to do with him. You know, if the mother cheated on the father, that's them. That's in their relationship. It never had anything to do with Neil. And alcoholism does what it does to you. And Neil should know better than anyone how that is, what that feels like, what it can do to you to be an alcoholic. And that Neil, in so many ways, in fact, in every way, was kind of denying his mother the amends and the forgiveness that he is living on today. Neil is living, walking, breathing proof that you can be an alcoholic, you can make these horrible mistakes, and that you can be forgiven, and that you can give up the alcohol and go on to lead a normal life. And he was just stepping into that room with all of this baggage and all of this resentment toward her, and I was so glad that she pretty quickly put him in his place. She said to him straight up, are you here for answers? Are you here for my side of the story? Or are you just here to prove yourself right? Because that's exactly what he was coming into the, the, the situation with. It was almost like he just wanted to tell her off and she wanted to explain to him. And she did. She basically told Neil that the reason she left him, left the family, was because she wanted to keep him safe. She didn't trust herself with a young boy. She was a she was an alcoholic, full-blown. She was always wondering where her next drink was going to come from. She was in a bad way. And in a way, she decided that it was best to sacrifice her relationship with him for his betterment so that he could be safe, be with the father. She left him with someone who she knew would take care of him and would raise him to be the good person that he ended up being. Or, you know, I guess that's interpretable, but, uh, you know, for the most part. And she said to him, too, I would do it again. I would make that decision over again. And it just hit Neil. I mean, I think everything hit him all at once. I think he had this realization that his mother wasn't something separate from him. His mother was a part of him and that he ident- was able to identify with her. They're both alcoholics. I mean, he just, I think he soaked that in and it just changed him in one moment. And all of a sudden, just hearing Neil weeping, Mama. And just crying. It just, it was just so sweet and it was so right. And he, it just, it broke him down. And then he immediately was lifted up. So happy to be able to all of a sudden have his mother. And he starts making plans and he starts telling her he wants to bring the family to see her, wants to bring Lily and the kids, and you've got grandchildren. And it totally changed on a dime. And I knew the second that his face lit up and he started talking about the family and all of the things they're going to do, I knew that like this is this woman's last day on earth. I am so sorry that that is going to be the case, but he's going to get all excited and she's going to have to stop him and say, sorry, I'm dying, which is it's such a horrible lesson to have to learn too late. But it's a lesson that I think is a good takeaway for viewers. You should not wait until it's too late to have relationships with the people that you love. I think that's that's what this little subset mini storyline is kind of trying to tell us. And I think it's brilliant and it's moving. Uh, I'm just so very sad that I'm guessing that Monday is probably going to be her last episode and that it's going to be Neil's goodbye.
I still loved the 11,000 episode intros this week. They were fantastic. Um, I tell you, I, I really appreciated the Winters family intros. Uh, Neil talked about him, you know, being, or Christoph St. John talked about him loving the masquerade ball. What year was that? I wish somebody could tell me because I don't know if I was watching at that time. I remember seeing Neil's getup. Victor was in a Roman getup. I think Jill was kind of Cleopatra. I mean, that, that, old masquerade ball I don't know if isn't it weird but I don't know if I remember that from seeing it uh, or if I remember it from maybe seeing it in a, a book or online or something but if it was if it was pre 93 1993 I wouldn't have seen it but uh, I thought that was it was a fun flashback we haven't seen it in a while uh, I definitely remember Lily uh, coming onto the show I especially remember Devon coming onto the show so I appreciated Crystal Khalil and uh Brighton's uh, interviews there. I it was it was I I was I was pleasantly surprised by Brighton's interview. He talked about Devon and how in just a few short years he went from sleeping on the floor in Victor's office to being a billionaire and sleeping with his father's wife. <laughs> that was a pretty good uh, joke, a pretty good transition. And I remember so vividly Devon coming onto the scene and how adamant uh, Drusilla was about incorporating Devon into the family and adopting him, and how much Neil hated it. Uh, he really didn't want to, to interrupt the little family that they already had going. Uh, and now here we are all of these years later, and Don, Devon is just as good as a winner's. I mean, he's really, really one of them. Um, we saw Kane and Hillary doing their uh, their intros as well. You know, I, I'm, I was really happy because I think we got four days of the intros. I don't think there was one on Thursday, was there? Uh, unless I blanked out or something. I think there was only four days. But Mondays, was uh, Victoria and Nick. So that made me really happy to see because I realized last week that we didn't get one from them. I was it was fun because we got outtakes. The, the Monday one was the only one where we actually saw a bloopers reel, kind of. <laughs> Everybody else was mostly serious, but I think that Josh Morrow is kind of known as being a practical joker around the set, so maybe they couldn't resist throwing in some funny bones there. Uh, I loved that his favorite moment was that fight with Matt Clark at the coffee house. I remember Matt Clark so well. I remember Nick, the origin of Nick and Sharon so very well. Uh, I, I was dying that Victoria said her favorite storyline was the reliquary. Are you kidding me? That stupid reliquary, reliquary storyline was like the worst in YNR history. I hated that. It was it was like YNR meets Indiana Jones or something. Ugh. Or maybe it was the Da Vinci Code uh, popular at that time or something. But it was just horrible, terrible. I couldn't believe she picked that. But I, I did love Sharon Case's interview talking about uh, her and Melody Thomas Scott getting to do the scene where they go down into the sewer with the rats <laughs> and with Wharton by the way Wharton was in that scene I can't remember what the heck they were doing down in the sewer uh that one eludes me but I do I they've mentioned that a couple of different times just on a Friday show I think it was we saw the Abbott family finally I didn't even realize or remember we hadn't seen Ashley or Jack but Ashley made some kind of comment about her very first scene on the show she was wearing cowboy boots and, and blue jeans which I thought was adorable because it was so 80s uh and uh I you know I didn't know that Ashley had an abortion um that was a very powerful scene in the 
Lorraine, with Victor. Um, I know that Tracy had eating disorders, uh, but I wasn't watching at that time, so I didn't know that Ashley had played a, a role uh, in Tracy's bulimia, so that looked very, very powerful. I thought that was um, a good little flashback to, to throw in there, too. Um, and, and then I loved, oh, I loved... Peter Bergman. I knew it. This is what he was going to say, too. Talking about that infamous hand kick. He, he does always bring that up because it was one of the greatest moments of YNR. I'll never forget it as long as I live. That argument between Jack and Victor where Peter Bergman said he accidentally kicked Victor's hand on the way out the door. Uh, and it was, it was, you know, just gold. It just was one of those things that just worked out because Jack had this incredible decision as Victor's passed out on the floor as to whether or not to call for help and he just chooses to walk away. And not only to walk away, but to kick him while he's down. It was such a cold, cold moment. But uh, I, I love that flashback. I love seeing it. Loved hearing Jack say that he cannot wait to see uh, Jack find out about Billy and Phyllis. <laughs> because I can't wait, too. Um, I think, I kind of am thinking that the very best part of it was, uh, well, I'll save that for a second, because the other thing I wanted to mention uh, was the Abbott family closeness. I think that that's a really important part of this show. We don't really get it with the Newmans, but we do get it with the Abbots. I think they're one of the legacy families on the show that you really get a sense of their closeness and their dynamic. I thought Jerry Douglas was supposed to be making a cameo on the show uh, last week or this week, and I haven't seen him yet, so I wonder if we're transitioning into that. Uh, but I really, uh, I, I liked seeing the Abbots together, and then on the show in current time, seeing them have a little Abbott family dinner. But the best, obviously, the best was the cameo by by Mrs. Lee Bell. Oh my goodness, you guys! I I I I mean, I, I lost it a little, but I just thought that was so so cool. Paul and Chris are having dinner in the athletic club, and the waiter comes up and tells them that their dinner's been paid for by a woman who says uh, that she wa she wanted to pay for their dinner because uh, they reminded that as a couple they re they reminded her of her and her late husband oh uh, I hope everybody caught that if you didn't uh, uh, you know Lee Bell uh, was the co-creator of the young and the restless um, and her husband passed away uh, several years ago and uh, Laura Lee Bell of course is their daughter and so it was just such a cute moment to see Laura Lee look back and that's her mom we know that and and we know that that was just it was such kind of an inside moment and I bet it was so wonderful for Lee to be on set with her daughter that day and it was just such a wonderful little treat for the fans I loved every moment of it and I know that you guys did too uh, why don't you keep telling me your favorite 11,000 episode memories I have a special post up at yrchat.com where you can and talk all about those intros. Uh, and if I, I'm, I mean, I know that there are scenes that you guys remember fondly that I, you know, don't. And I pick the ones that spark my interest. But I know there are ones that that you guys hold very dear too. So if you want to go and share your thoughts on those intros, ask questions if you want to. 
yrchat.com. And hey, by the way, did you notice we got those new midway title cards? So at the halfway point of the show, we always get uh, some sort of, uh, you know, it just comes in from commercial and tells us we're watching Young and the Restless. And, and it's, it was, it's been the same for a really long time. And they switched it. And we have several of the actors holding these big lighted Y's and R's. Uh, uh, I hope everybody got to see that too. It was kind of fun to have something new. And uh, hey, if we're on a new kick, how about some, how about a new uh, intro? How about a new like opening credits one of these days? Speaking of Barnes and Noble, I was at Barnes and Noble uh, yesterday, and every time I go, I always make a beeline for the Harlequins, the Harlequin romance novels. Uh, I've never read one in my entire life, but I will stand there for 20 minutes, read it, looking at the covers, flipping them over, look, reading the synopsis on the back. I just, I don't even know why. I've, not, I've never even read a romance novel, but the Harlequins just, they fascinate me. They're, they're juicy in the same way that soap operas are. <laughs> and so I was reading them last night and I kept the, the last week's Who Said It quote kept rolling around in my head. Falling in love is the most dangerous thing you could ever do. It belongs on a romance novel. Whoever writes romance novels, are mo they're most certainly also uh, writing soap operas. <laughs> so I, I think I did pretty darn good. I picked a somewhat of a, an elusive one. Only four people got that one right. So so I have to give my congratulations to our very astute listeners and viewers, Edith, Sharita, Troy, and Jasmine. Those are the four people who guessed that it was Billy who said it, of all people. He was having a conversation with Victoria about her relationship with Travis, and, and he had that observation. And of course, we know he's also talking about himself falling in love, being so dangerous. Uh, so I did good on that one. Let's see if I can give you another good one this week. How about this? Who said this? Is this family drama not exciting enough for you? <laughs> I liked that line, and I think it's very appropriate for 11,000 episodes. Is we're kind of just watching this family drama. That's sort of what it is, the whole show in a nutshell. Is this family drama not exciting enough for you? Uh, YRChat.com, if you would like to guess who said it, if you get it right, and if you leave your comment, your guess, uh, through the website, then I will give you your big old shout out on next week's YNR chat. Let's get to some of your comments. Speaking of the 11,000 episodes, Gina left me a voicemail and she said, I appreciated how the actors acknowledged the audience during those intros because it's us that keeps the show going. You know, the audience watching is what, what keeps YNR uh, on our screens. I totally am glad you said that, Gina, because I thought it was very gracious. We talked last week about how YNR needs to kind of celebrate itself and even though they were doing that I really did like that at the very end of all of the intros they made a point of saying thank you to the fans because we are helping keep the machine going <laughs> and the more we talk about YNR and tell people about it the the more uh, life that I think it, it gets also get well soon Gina get well soon 
Um, Beatrice left me a voicemail and said, Neil and his mother were a real fan your eyes moment this week. I agree. Henry at YRChat.com also says, Neil and his mom was touching and very realistic. Once she shared that she was an alcoholic that removed, or once she shared that she was an alcoholic, that removed all of the walls from she and Neil's relationship. He could immediately identify and empathize with her. I think that's it in a nutshell, Henry. Um, it was it was him. It was Neil realizing that he was looking at another alcoholic. He's someone who's also built this whole foundation around recovery, right along with Jack, the Abbott Winters Foundation. So, um, it, it, you know, making amends is an integral part of of being an alcoholic, and he was denying her that. And I think, yeah, that was the moment that changed everything. Rocks, 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 Grace on YouTube says, oh, dear Lord, yes, to Mariah and Daniel. <laughs> In a two-minute scene, they gathered more fans than Summer and all her pairings. <laughs> I'm ready for Mariah to be in a fiery love story, and I'm sorry that cannot happen with Kevin. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like probably the boat is, is sailing. <laughs> it's getting farther and farther off into the distance with Mariah and Kevin. Uh, you might be right about that. But yeah, it seemed like people were kind of into Mariah and Daniel, except Shikanda on Facebook says, I don't know about Daniel and Mariah, but I'd love to see Daniel and Lily together again. Yes, Shikanda, they showed a little slice, I think, of Lily and Daniel kissing on the beach as they were like running away together during Crystal Khalil's uh, 11,000 episode memory moments. She looked so young and so fresh. They both did. That was a cute little love story. I do remember Lily and Daniel. Aaron on YouTube says, I loved the Daniel scenes this week, too. I miss seeing the interaction between him and Phyllis. Phyllis was always the hell on wheels in the relationship, while Daniel was the calm, weathering the storm in the relationship. And I miss that dynamic. That's a good point, Aaron. Um, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, Phyllis was always right up in there talking, uh, you know, ta if we, you know, Ashley made that comment at the dinner table this past week about how Phyllis was being very Victor-esque in trying to prevent Summer from marrying Luca. Well, she was doing that way back in the day with Daniel and Lily and Daniel and Amber and anybody Daniel wanted to date. So that was kind of a fun uh, dynamic that we just don't get anymore. You never know. Daniel could come back. Maybe they're just testing it for us. Uh, Zooperplex at YRChat.com says, Oh no, where is Sage to help Adam get a new face now? <laughs> what are the chances that Sage will end up coming back alive? I mean, the new, uh, the new, P the new writers, uh, or sorry, the new executive producer brought back like Travis. Maybe they'll, he, maybe he'll decide to bring back Sage and maybe Sage will help Adam get reconstructive surgery. Hmm. <laughs> Daisy on Facebook says, I don't think there is anything more that I want for this show than to have Chelsea find out that Chloe killed Adam. I want Chelsea to look Chloe in the face and tell her that she knows she did it. And then I want to see the real Chloe come to the surface and admit it. Yeah, I think I think, Daisy, a lot of people are waiting for that moment because it's hard to watch Chloe stone faced, try to be a little best supportive friend sitting there on the couch, comforting Chelsea over the loss of her husband, knowing that she's the one that had something to do with it. 
Uh, Janice at YRChat.com left me a kind of an alternate view saying, could Chloe possibly have grown a conscience and actually freed Adam before blowing it up, before blowing up the cabin and making it appear that he died, uh, just maybe burned and disfigure, disfigured, uh, so that the police would stop looking for him? Yeah, you know, Janice, I was kind of thinking that maybe there's something more to that story, too. Uh, that, that maybe she didn't just straight up kill him, that maybe she was in some way doing something to either help him or help herself, or at least not just to straight up kill him, because she just could have done that. Uh, Gary left me a voicemail this week saying something I was pretty much thinking the whole week. Thanks to Victor, Adam is thrown onto the lamb where he didn't even want to be. I like this point, Gary, because the entire time that Adam and Chelsea were talking about getting uh, Connor some help, I kept thinking, uh, this is all Victor's fault. Adam wanted to go to prison for the, the guard situation. He stood there and pled guilty. He was in the process of accepting his prison time. He didn't ask to be let out of prison. He didn't ask to all of a sudden make not only himself a fugitive, but his wife and his son too. That was all Victor's little magic doing. And so, in, again, in, in so many ways, all roads lead back to Victor Newman. So in, up to and including what's happened, whatever has happened to Adam now, Victor, as usual, is somehow responsible for it. Oh, Lot Fally, this made me laugh. <laughs> I, I literally laughed out loud at yrchat.com. Lot Fally says, once again, I'm in awe of the GCPD detective work. The chicken McNugget Dylan found on the floor of the motel room. It proved Connor had been there. And the cold medicine and Paul's declaration that no one can travel far with a sick child. This is top-notch case-cracking stuff. <laughs> the chicken McNugget mystery was the best part of that lot, Valley, I think. <laughs> Oh, Connor left me a voicemail. This is a good hypothetical question. What if Adam and Chelsea both left the show for a while to have their own spinoff? Adam and Chelsea on the run. They could travel the country on their own, bring in some extra, um, uh, you know, Dylan and Paul could make little cameos there. I think that's a fun idea. What other uh, YNR characters would have good spinoff shows? Ooh, how about Esther? <laughs> Esther's place. Esther opens up a restaurant. I like the I like the YNR spinoff idea. And Adam and Chelsea are probably one of the most compelling couples on the show, so I'd tune in for it. That's a good idea, Connor. And be careful on those ladders. <laughs> They'll jump out and get ya. Uh, Troy at YRChat.com says, I'm thinking that this could be an opportunity for Nick and Chloe to get closer together. I think that would really stick in Victor's craw. I'm not guessing this is going to happen, but that's what I would prefer over uh, Chelsea and Nick. I never would have thought of that, Troy. Uh, Chloe and Nick. Ooh, what do the YNR chatters think of that? That would really tick Victor off. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't think, I, I doubt they're going to do it. I think that Chloe's been a little bit too much of a bad girl and they're wrapping her up with Kevin and so many other storylines, but 
but you never know down the road. It could be kind of a fiery couple if Chloe can get her act together. Oh, Anna had left me a voicemail this past week uh, saying that YNR did uh, issue a casting call for someone named Dean. And I looked that up, Anna. Um, it was, uh, I guess, originally reported in mid-August, which is probably about the time that they were looking for a, a replacement for Justin Hartley. That's probably around the time he was taping these final scenes. So uh, it said that this Dean character is supposed to be from a wealthy family uh, and it kind of sounded like mid 30s like it could have been an Adam recast so I wonder if YNR has been putting feelers out there to find the right recast of Adam I I really I want to know what you guys think about the recast versus maybe bringing Mooney back I mean I, I tell you if they would just bring Michael Mooney back I'd be happy that could be the end of the whole thing for me because I just worry about a recast. Getting Justin Hartley in the first place was like capturing lightning in a bottle that we could actually recast well a very important character on the show. I just don't know if we're going to capture that lightning twice. Okay, you guys, those are my thoughts and those are your thoughts. Uh, if you want to give me some new thoughts about this past week's show, yrchat.com is where you can leave your comments uh, on the blog. You can also find the YouTube, the podcast, the Facebook, all of that stuff there at yrchat.com. And of course, you can also call and leave me your voice messages, 309 588 Four five six nine. It's always such a pleasure hearing from you. And now, <laughs> I think I'm going to take a little tiny little breaky break, get a snack, prep some stuff so that we can do a very fun, very anticipated fall soap giveaway. So I'm going to take the camera off the tripod and uh, I will uh, draw the winner for that here uh, right now. Okay, soap fans, welcome to the fall 2016 Genoa City Soap, Soap for Soap Fans giveaway. Yay! <laughs> if you entered the drawing, then I have your name written down onto our beautiful little soap bubbles here, along with the soap that you chose to win. So I've got your name, and then you selected which soap you wanted to enter for. Your choices were the Sweet Crimson Chai, then of course we have Chelsea, Jack, Adam, and Phyllis. So you picked your favorite soap and now I am going to pick a winner. Hopefully everybody can see their names here or most everybody can see their names. I shuffled them around just a little bit but now I'm gonna mix them up a little bit more. I was kind of, um, well, not really surprised, but um, I was pleasantly surprised, I guess, to see that the most popular soap that you guys picked was my Sweet Crimson Chai, which is probably, I mean, it is really good. I think maybe people picked it also because it's just so darn good for fall. It's just creamy and sweet and... 
the second most popular soap uh, was Jack, which is also kind of creamy and sweet in its own way. But both of those are just, I don't know, there's just something about them that kind of feels like warm and cozy and like it would be, um, I don't know, just nice for the chillier months of the year. <laughs> okay, so I think what I'm going to do this time is pick two winners <laughs> just because I want to get these soaps into the hands of the soap fans. So since I've got two different colors here, I think I'll pick one of each color. So why don't I go right into, how about we grab this one right here for the coral one and then let's go over here and what I want is, what I want is this one. <laughs> so here are our two winners. Oh, are you just excited to find out who it's going to be? <laughs> I know, I certainly am. Okay, so which color should we pick first? Mm, let's switch it up. I like to keep it crazy. Uh, let's go with the cream colored one. Okay, so winner number one of their choice of fall soap is... Katie! I know Katie from Facebook. She's going to be stoked to get this chai. I'm not even surprised that somebody won the chai because so many people asked for it. You're going to really like this one, Katie. <laughs> You're going to be lathering up with all kinds of yummy, like, it's kind of cinnamony and nutmeggy, but it's got this creaminess behind it that's just nice. It was my surprise soap of the season. I didn't expect to love this one as much as I do, and I think you're going to love it so very much. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations, Ms. Katie. Well, I think maybe we should find out who is behind this mystery bubble now, too. <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready? The anticipation is killing me. The soap for soap fans winner number two is... Jenna! Oh, she picked the Jack Bar. This is not even surprising at all. Oh my gosh. The two most popular ones got picked. <laughs> so it's Chai and Jack. Oh, Jenna. See, I, I honestly think Jack is probably my favorite of all of these just because it's sort of complex. Like it is creamy and sweet, but it's got this kind of woody note behind it. It's not like masculine to where only guys could wear it. I like this one a lot. It's just got... I don't know, it's just almost even maybe a hint of a little woody spice in it. It's just a good one. You're going to love this, Jenna. Yay! I think actually both of you guys are going to love these. <laughs> and I know the rest of you guys are so jealous. <laughs> oh, congratulations, Katie and Jenna. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy for you guys. I am... I'm going to end up popping the extras into my pop-up shop at GenoaCitySoap.com. If you didn't win and you're still dying to get one, I also, this year, since I decided to make the bars a lot bigger, these are three-ounce bars, and I thought, well, some people still like the small soaps, and I still like the small soaps, so I cut a couple of them in half, so that if you just kind of wanted to try just a little, a little bar just to kind of get 
get a sample. Um, I cut those in half and I'll pop those into the shop as well. Along with my handmade lotions, I decided to make one of each of the Genoa City soap characters. So I've got Jack lotion, uh, Phyllis, Adam, and Chelsea. Honestly, Chelsea's probably the one that I end up grabbing the most for myself. It's like, um, it's blackberry, so it does have a little bit of a fruity note, but there's a lot of like spiciness and kind of, I don't know, exotic um, sort of scent about it, which is similar to Phyllis. Phyllis is a very exotic, spicy fragrance as well. And I don't want to forget Adam. He's just black licorice. I used that one last night and liked it a lot. So these are whipped body creams, so they're a little thicker than, you know, like runny, watery lotion. Uh, but these will be nice for winter skin, and I made some for myself, so I figured, hey, why not make them for you too? <laughs> just to share. So those are going to be in the pop-up shop at GenoaCitySoap.com along with the big bars and along with my secret farmer's market soaps. Now if you're not a newsletter subscriber, you probably don't even know about these <laughs> because I made them mostly just for myself. I, these are three fragrances that I just personally like and I make every year in the fall. I have Sweet Orange and Chili apple cinnamon and pumpkin gingerbread oh i make a pumpkin soap every single year and this is probably the best one i've done so far um but these are kind of uh soaps that i made for myself and i decided that i would toss them into a secret giveaway for newsletter subscribers and i'm gonna do that drawing next if you're not a newsletter subscriber and you missed out on that <laughs> you can also go to genoa city soap.com to sign up for the next one. I usually do a secret giveaway alongside the main giveaway um, and in this case these were kind of some exclusive soaps but I'm going to put these little babies into the shop too along with I cut up some half bars for those too in case anybody just wants to grab some and stock up on your fall soaps. GenoaCitySoap.com is where you can Check out the shop, see pictures of all of the soaps. These are all wrapped up and ready to go, but if you wanna see the pictures of all of the bars and check out my blog and newsletter and all that good stuff, uh, I would love to um, hear from you if you wanna leave comments or um, check out the shop or any of that good stuff. So everybody, I am so appreciative that you guys are interested in the soaps and that you entered this drawing. I hope nobody but he's too terribly disappointed that Katie and Jenna are the big winners of the day. <laughs> I know they're not disappointed, but I hope everybody keeps entering and keeps trying because I'm having a lot of fun with these giveaways and I have a feeling that you are too. So um, thank you once again, everybody. I love you so much and I will see you next time, hopefully for a winter soap giveaway.